Hi everyone, I'm Harrison Goodrell, co-founder of Sustained Music and Nature, and welcome back for another episode of Songscapes. The song you're listening to is To Make It Real, from Sean Rao's October release, The Darkness Dressed in Colored Lights. I've crossed paths with Sean at various festivals in my touring days, and I'm really excited that he was able to join us as a guest. This week, Charles Coplin and Sean discuss songwriting, foraging, and some of the subtleties around clever social media marketing. Well, for the last um, decade, I've made my living, you know, in terms of uh, financially speaking. Uh, that's been a matter of, uh, you know, touring, recording. Uh, so, you know, music has been my career for the past 10 years. Now, it's been my lifestyle for longer than that. But in terms of making a living off of it, it's been about 10 years. The foraging piece is really just, you know, my joy. It's not really uh, a, a great source of income for me, although I, I do make some from it. But it's really it's really just a passion outside of outside of music and that I got into when I was really young, um, you know, started out, um, I guess my earliest memory would, would be dandelions. I, I remember I was being babysat by this woman and her husband was like this like burly dude. He was a carpenter, very hairy back. I remember this is like very <laughs> thick black hair. I remember it's frightening he was, for a young he, child. Yeah, but he was also very, very tan. He was always out in the sun. And and um, I don't know. I just have this memory of him saying that, hey, you know, you can eat dandelions. And I was like, oh. Uh, you know, I think as a kid, you're naturally curious about nature. You know, when you see people just going up to something off of the land and start eating it, it makes you curious. As a kid, you're like, oh, well, that's neat, you know? So that was sort of like a a doorway which would um, later sort of open me up into this world of, you know, living off the land and learning about how native people, indigenous people lived and how they procured their, everything they needed to survive. You know, all that fascination sort of opened up in me when I got into high school and then beyond. And then I just went, you know, I got into more of a, focused kind of a uh instruction with that so brought me to where i am today still just a passion really so for those that haven't seen them um and i'm recommending you go to youtube and see them can you talk about can i eat this yeah um can i eat this as a youtube video series there's three episodes there now um that you can watch and it's really like Honestly, I was trying to figure this out, like how I wanted to format the show. But it's this idea that, although music is primarily what I do, I wanted to um, share this idea of, of foraging and doing something that's completely universal, which is eating. Um, we all have to eat. But this is about, it's about connecting to nature, basically. That's what it, that's what it comes down to. But the doorway to do that is foraging and learning about what's around you and what you can do with it, developing a deeper connection to nature. But I also wanted it to be entertaining. Um, I wanted it to be fun to watch. 
I wanted it to be informative. So it's like all of those pieces together in like a 20 minute kind of episode. It does involve my songs as well. So there's a music component too. Um, and I'd like to do more of them. You know, it's meant to be an ongoing series, but it's just that the nature of what I do with my work, uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like get these episodes done. It's just a labor of love, you know, at this point. When you are composing music, how much of that specific insight to the land to there's probably a more poetic way to say this what you can eat how much of that finds itself into your music either melodically or lyrically well here's the thing you know with with songs it's all about connection. It's all about connecting with people, you know? Um, foraging is about connecting with plants, you know? Um, and foraging is also a um, communal, uh, you know, enterprise. It's a, it's a very, you know, it, it, it bonds us together as humans. But in songwriting, uh, I don't typically write songs about, I'm not opposed to it, writing about nature and stuff. There are n natural elements that show up as metaphors in my music, you know, but, but primarily I'm in the business of connecting with people. So a lot of my um, songs there, it really comes down to one thing and it's really about relationships. So there is an element of relationship to the land in my songs, you know, that's inherent in what I do. But it's it's really about connecting with people too, and learning to you know, digging, unpeeling the layers of yourself, and trying to get down to the core of it. You know, I write to connect. Mm -hmm. So speaking of connecting, one thing that I I think you do very well, which believe it or not is is fairly unique for at least the artists that I've spoken to on this podcast. I think you use TikTok really well, and I'm kind of curious what your approach is, because in the world we live in, as you know, trying to get music out there, it's one thing to be talented, which you which you are. It's another thing to expose people to your music. And I know firsthand from doing this for a living, marketing music and trying to connect with an audience is a continuing challenge in this day and age, in the post-album post FM radio era. So I, I, if you could talk a little bit about your approach, specifically marketing your music and also how you employ TikTok. Mm. Well, I appreciate you saying that about marketing um, and my, you know, level of TikTokery, but you know, my Is that a word? we're going to, we're going to, no, it's not, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'm, we're going to, we're going to make here. it a verb TikTokery. Um, I certainly don't feel super confident that I have um, skills in that area. But here's what the way I look at it. Like, I put all my focus into one thing, and that's the product of what I'm doing. In other words, like, I believe in what I'm doing. Everything comes from how deep I can go into performance and how deep I can go into songs and recording, you know? So everything else is just a sort of a reflection of that. So if I'm going to market something that I do, 
the more of myself I can put into it, the more of like skip the bullshit and like this is what I do and have it be unflinching. Like uh, I think that that is what people want to hear. So naturally, like the marketing is not a hard thing because I'm just marketing what I actually am doing. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to show you, hey, like I'm doing something that's awesome. Come check it out. And these are all the ways I'm going to show you it's awesome. I just want you to hear it and you decide, you know what I mean? I'm just going to be myself. And I don't know when people are themselves. I think that's just inherently interesting, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's no question you're authentic, but there, there has to be, especially when you're kind of a one man band, no pun intended, there has to be some kind of strategy and approach and thought process that is is not the exact same muscle as as sort of songwriting, but it still requires an insight, a talent, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I think I know what you're saying. Um, I think that it has to do with it. Actually, does apply to to songwriting because you're trying to get in the listener's head with songwriting and. And with marketing, you're trying to get into the viewer's head, you know, you're trying to grab their attention. So a lot of it is understanding, understanding, you know, that there needs to be some kind of a punchline, some kind of a, uh, something to hook you in, you know, um, I, you know, it, it is important to be aware of that. So in other words, like, I'll give you an example. There's a lot of YouTube videos on foraging. You can find uh, many, many um, foraging videos. Most of them, or a lot of them, a good portion of them, are they fall into different categories on the um, on the uh, extreme end. One extreme is like what I would call backyard videos. They're like you know shot with the cheapest camera. Or with an iPhone that just has horrible lighting, you know, um, and it's visually sucks. I mean, it's not fun to watch it, you know. See, foraging is inherently fun. It's like it's amazing, and we want to share it. People who are foragers, they can't help it. They want to share it because it's so fun, and it's rewarding. It's beneficial. All of these things. So naturally, we want to share it. But not everybody has the forethought to think like, hey, if I'm going to share this. These people that are watching this, this might be the first time they've ever in, been introduced to this. So thinking about that, like they're going to want to not want to see this on the cheapest, crappiest video form you have, you know, that's one extreme. Another extreme is like sometimes people are very, very knowledgeable, but they don't know how to get their ideas across. They're just like talking info, you know, and you can make something as fun as foraging to be dry and boring as hell you know especially the way you talk about it your tone your attitude about it you can be giving this vibe of like you're you're making people scared of it you know you gotta be careful whatever you do don't go near the white mushrooms you know what i mean it's like <laughs> you know there there needs to be an element of of real like hey dudes you know like hey this is fun you gotta watch out for certain things but Let's make this fun. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's it's it does take some forethought into knowing how to hook people.
Stay with us. More from Sean and Charles after the break. Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music in Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org. Welcome back, and you are listening to Songscapes. To kick off the second half of the conversation, Charles and Sean talk about his latest release, The Darkness Dressed in Colored Lights. There's a quote attributed to you that says, forged in the fires of self-discovery and acceptance when talking about this new record. Um, you said it, apparently. Um, wow. Talk so about... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you were maybe you were eating something you shouldn't have eaten. Uh, anyway, I wouldn't uh, shy away from that. Quote. Of doom. Yeah, yes. It's a good quote. Um, but either way, take us inside your your creative process on the new record and how you're feeling about it now that it's being shared with the world. Um, it's always an interesting thing as a writer that we don't get to we don't get to hear it without hearing the mechanics of it you know without seeing the hand in all of it um i was reading something or hearing something about um david gilmore talking about dark side of the moon and as you know, as deep as that record is and as, um, you know, um, larger than life, it became something bigger than they could have imagined. He'll never have the experience of hearing it for the first time. Like, like somebody did that wasn't a part of the making that album, you know, he'll never know what that's like. Um, and so, that's what it's like for any artist who's recording or writing and is sharing something with the world. I can only hear my own intent with it and um, my hand in it. And a lot of that has to do with the mechanics of when I recorded it and the surrounding elements of it. When I do get to hear it as a, as a listener is more of like when I have other people playing in the band and they do something that surprises me that that's why I like, I like albums when you're collaborating with people, other people, just for that reason, for a selfish reason of, I want to be surprised, you know, when I hear it. Um, so maybe that answers a little, a part of that question. Um, but the other part would be on the process. Um, 
you know, writing the songs, you never know until it's kind of like almost until it becomes like on the board, so to speak, or you have a chunk of the songs sort of done where, where the direction is, where it's going, you know, because when I write, I don't, you know, I'll get inspired by something and I might write a little bit, a piece of a song, you know, and then I might come back to it months later or even a year later. Maybe it started out being one song, but then it turns into another, you know. Um, but once I get going on several different pieces, I might have an idea of like, oh, this could be a record right here. You know what I mean? And so this last one was kind of like that. I mean, some of the songs were written, you know, several years ago. Some of them were, there was parts of, they were part of other songs that I thought this would be better said in this song, you know, as this. It wasn't until, you know, we're getting going on this thing that I could see what it was, you know, for me. It's interesting that you talk about Floyd because, and you mentioned collaborating with the band, but obviously the brilliance and then the demise of Floyd was the tension between Gilmore and Waters. And you as a solo artist, um, even though you collaborate with other musicians, you're in a much different position because you're, you're sort of looking in the mirror as opposed to running this by a steady group of partners, which is part of what a band dynamic is. Have you, have you ever thought about it in those terms? Have I thought about it in those terms? Um, yes. Uh, you know, part of it is economics for me. Um, I tend to want to, if I have a, if I have an idea, I want to execute it as quickly as possible. It might not work, but I want to, I want the option of saying, okay, I want to try that. I want to go this. I want you to try this. I, I want, you know, I want the bass player to play this without, without a, a counteraction of, well, you know, that's not really how I play. I don't really want to do that. You know, I, I was thinking more of like this, whereas the benefit of being the guy who is writing the song and, you know, directing is like, well, I have this idea. I want you to try it this way, but then they might try it and it doesn't work. And they say, you know what? I, I actually, I was thinking I was hearing it like this and then they play it and they surprise me. And then I end up using that. It's the same thing that happens in films, you know, like in a, um, a director will say, you know, this is how, this is how this, this line should be said. This is how this should be portrayed. And as they're doing it, the actress says, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really, I don't feel like the character would do that. You know, I would feel he's doing, he's thinking this, so he's going to act like this. And then the director might say, oh, shit, yeah, that makes total sense. Go with that. Same thing. And the, there's so many parallels between film and recording um, that you can draw, you know. And, and I just think it's interesting. I've worked with a lot of artists and that the, the solo, the advantages of being a solo artist versus a in a band and and the other side the pros and cons of being in each i've seen that the sort of tension and rancor between yeah. band members and i think it was it might have been springsteen i don't know who would say this is not a democracy and so yeah. that's a solo artist mentality even though he's got the e street band he's still the boss 
no pun intended. Um, but you know, I've also seen this sort of tension between partners and you have in your world, the ability to sort of make your own decisions or have final say kind of like the director on a film set. Um, but you don't have bandmates who you can sort of get down in the trenches with and you have, you have collaborators, but it's a little bit of a different thing. Yeah. And the Springsteen is a good example because, uh, that is, you know, he doesn't make any apologies for the reality of his situation and his, all his band members know that that's, that's an ideal position to be in. And one that I would happily welcome if the economics were in my favor, um, in terms of like being able to afford a, a, a whole band and take them on the road with me and have them play, you know, exactly, exactly how I would want it to go in a show, you know, where not to play, where to play. That would be great. <laughs> you know, one day I might get there, but the economics right now <clears throat> have led me down the solo path when I play live, you know, and well, I've pretty much, you know, I've gone into that deeply, you know, because I know it can be, you know, one man show is like, you know, it's, it takes a lot of thought <laughs> to, to put into that going to do that live. Well, that's coming, Sean, but I, that, that, that gives me, uh, sort of reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about, which didn't you come late to performing? Yeah. Wasn't, so um, what, what was that well, about? It was, Why? Weird, it was a kind of a weird, a weird timeline. It wasn't exactly linear. So when I was um, maybe eight years old, my uncle, my family was pretty musical on my mother's side. And both my uncles played guitar a little bit and sang. And um, my one uncle, Frank, he had a church group when I was a kid. And he'd let me sing in the, I had no, no sort of, um, uh, I had no sort of uh, uh, fear about um, and at that age of singing in front of people um, in front of like uh, his, his adult friends that were practicing for the church group. And we'd be at his house and going over songs and I'd be there singing with them. I just liked to be a part of the group. I thought it was awesome. And then in the church I'd sing and I got a chance to sing some solos, you know, some solo songs. And I loved it. I love the voice projecting um, through the room and how that sounded. And I thought that was great. Of course, my voice was like, way, you know, several degrees higher. But um, as I got older in high school, um, middle school, I definitely lost my ability to be comfortable around other people and with my own voice. So I didn't, I didn't sing or perform until I was, uh, until I was just out of high school. Um, and that's when, uh, you know, I was in a band and I really felt like music was the real calling in terms of like playing and make a living from music. So, yeah, I mean, I skipped a chunk of years when I just didn't feel comfortable singing in front of people. It's like literally finding your voice. Yeah, right, right. Tom Brown was a big influence on you. For Definitely. those that don't know, who is Tom Brown and how yeah. did he impact your life? Tom Brown was, um, and still is, he's alive. He still does, um, he still does what he, you know, started doing in 1970 something, which is, um, he 
has a school in New Jersey for uh, wilderness tracking and awareness. It's it's basically um, like a wilderness survival school, but not not in the sense of like a military type of environment. It's more about getting back to nature, getting in touch with nature. So he he's probably the most famous um, wilderness survival school instructor in the States. I mean, he has to be. A lot of the schools that uh, you see today are were inspired by his school in some way. He's a very controversial character, um, but his books really started me on my path to a deeper connection to nature. I read this book called The Tracker, which was his first book. Um, I read that when I was about 18. And after I read that, I realized I wanted to go to this school. And the school had, at that time, had a series of week-long courses where you could learn how to, the idea was like, you know, show up with your backpack, you leave the backpack, you go out into the woods, make a shelter, survive off of the land for a week. And then you think you're, uh, you know, you think at the end of the week, you think, oh my God, I'm amazing now. I can do this. And then it turns out you don't know shit, you know, but it's just, it inspires you, you know, it inspired me when I was a kid. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely a, a doorway for me. So I ask all my guests these two questions. You can take them in whatever order you want. Um, one, what is your favorite sort of public land moment where you just remember that you were completely present, you were sort of in, in that awe nirvana state? And the second question is, is there a go-to song that you have in your head, maybe when you're stuck in traffic or on a train or something, on an airplane, where it's kind of a positive relationship to nature could be your song could be somebody else's song Mm. all right well i can tell you about the first one i was um i was living out in the woods when i was um in my was in my early 30s i i took this 24-day wilderness survival um trek so essentially i just went out with almost nothing. I had the clothes I had on me. I had a little bit of uh, venison jerky that I had made and uh, some apples. <laughs> and then the idea was going to stay out there, build my shelter and and uh, survive on what I, could, what I knew of foraging and some trapping that I was doing. Uh, and, you know, one of the most powerful moments for me was when I realized that how much I was tied into the land there and my own body, like, for example, like with the land, I'd be walking around and I literally had nothing to do except to take care of myself. I'd need to find the things to make my traps for, to get food. I'd need to forage. I need to find the things to make my shelter. Everything was about, just simply making it through, you know, I had to dig out a spring to get water, you know? Um, so it was like, you know, it was very much in the moment. Um, there's nothing like a survival kind of a trek to teach you about living in the moment. That's, you're always doing that. And I realized the sense that I had about being home and what home meant because my sense of home at that point was opened up to the entire woods. You know, I felt like 
this feeling I'd never felt before. Like when you think of home, you think of your house and you think of like these walls and these confined spaces and stuff. And that just becomes a part of your paradigm, you know, your, the way that you live, you know, but when you're outside the whole time, it's like you have this expansive sense of what it must've been like for people that just lived close to nature for as long as we have and what it has done to evolve our brains to a certain degree that we've we still have but because we're in the modern context we we're not connected to that part and it's really messing with us but it got me in touch with that side of things where i just felt really attached had a very much expansive sense of what home was like um so so that's that uh i did have I had funny, this is also tied to that experience too, which could answer your second question, but it's funny, like the songs that come into your head when you're out in that kind of a situation. Cause I, people ask me, did you take your guitar with you? I said, you know, no, I mean, I didn't cause I really didn't have time for that. You know, I had time to like get everything I needed to survive, but the song that kept coming to my head was just like very literal. Um, here comes the rain again uh eurythmics yeah 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 and i kept singing it and uh was it raining not at first not at first i had like the first week i was there was the most gorgeous weather you could ask for it was like 75 it was in september 75 degrees no rain at all it was beautiful and i got really used to that and then you know things started to shift all of a sudden after a weekend and it was like here comes the rain again you know it was just it was nonstop. It didn't almost rain for an entire week nonstop, you know? So it's like, I kept hearing that song in my head and it's, there's a really weird thing that happens, like at least in my brain. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you could swear that you're actually hearing the song, like outside of your own mind. Like it's like, it's, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's a weird, I don't know what that is happening in in our brains where it really even though it's it's in your everything is in your brain but it really feels like it's coming from out there and not in here you don't have to think about how it sounds you're actually hearing it in real time it seems like anyways you know being out in the woods that long that kind of did that to my brain too with songs what are we doing baby what are we now Sean Rao creates in order to foster connection. If it's music or foraging, check out his social media pages at Sean Rao, R-O-W-E Music, to see what TikTokery he's up to. And don't forget to listen to his latest album, The Darkness Dressed in Colored Lights. Songscapes is a production of Sustain Music and Nature. If you like this program, give us a follow, write a review, and check out our website at Sustain Music and Nature. .org. Until next time, see you out on the trail. I used to be so free of broken bones and wear and tear. I soon you're gonna meet your old friends again in the graveyard of repairs. But for tonight, what are we doing, baby?